Thank you for joining us today. Please hit subscribe and share. Please feel free to leave us a comment. Guys, welcome to another episode of Vertical Momentum, where we talk to the today's thought leaders and game changers. And this gentleman that I'm talking to is such an awesome gentleman, complete game changer and a true gentleman. Um, guys, first I want to thank our sponsor. And the reason why I chose her for our sponsor this week is hers were, it was the first podcast I ever heard Mr. Max talking on. So that's Tammy Moses, The Hoarding Solution, has an amazing podcast talking about hoarding, but also talks a lot about people coming back and resiliency. So definitely check out thehoardingsolution.com with Tammy Moses. And this gentleman I'm about to talk to is a true gentleman, um, somebody I couldn't wait to get on the show. It's been so long, um, mostly up my end. So, Mr. Max, how are you doing today, my friend? I'm doing just fine. How are you doing, Rich? You know what? Every day I get to wake up, it's a good day. Yeah. Well, that's true. You know, every every day is a gift that we aren't promised. That's for absolute certain. So how's your day going so far? Oh, it's going pretty good. I got to spend some time with some good friends of mine on Zoom this morning. Uh, had some really good leftover pasta with uh, seafood in it from yesterday. And uh, now I get to spend some time with you and your wow. audience. Pasta and seafood. That that sounds like a definite plan. Where are you so where are you located in Texas? Uh, yeah, I'm in I'm outside of, like northwest of Houston. And uh and don't tell nobody because somebody might come along and offer him a job. But my nephew Seth is an amazing cook and he's always spoiling us. So uh you know, if it was left up to me, I wouldn't probably wouldn't have anything in my kitchen that nice. Well, you know what? I I'm a person that, that I love food. You know, I may have lost my eyesight, but I think my my appetite's got even, 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 even worse now because I can smell a lot better. It seems <laughs> like. Yeah, and you know, one of the things that vision loss helps you with with food is trying unusual foods because you don't have to get past the vision yeah, test. Yeah, so true. Uh, you know, especially like my wife's like, "You want to try it?" I'm like, "Sure, why not? What's the worst that can happen?" You know. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about your story. Where were you born and raised? Well, I'm from uh, Spring, Texas, which is this same general area. I've lived here most of my life. Uh, went through elementary, junior high, and high school here. So this is where I'm from. I, I grew up in a family of people who own and operate carnivals, and I still have one uh, cousin who's actually still in the business and has a pretty substantial carnival to the point that he has to travel from Corpus to uh, Nebraska and back during during his his annual season in order to in order to make it worthwhile to set up some of those rides so i still have family in the business uh, i was blessed to participate in our own small carnival for probably 15 years before my dad passed away to lung cancer and then after his death i realized i needed to do something new so i i started helping people sell used to carnival rides and amusement park equipment on the internet and uh, for those people who don't remember these those days, uh, this was in 2007, which was before Wi-Fi, WordPress, or Facebook. And so I had to learn how to hand code HTML, which for those who haven't done it, be thankful because it is not easy. It's not something I would wish on anybody to have to make them learn it. Uh, you know, I had to recruit clients and set fees and write copy. And you know how it is when you start something new. You pretty much have to do it all yourself because... 
you either don't have the money to, to pay people or you don't have the trust to be willing to let other people, you know, get involved in your project. So uh, I was working to build this website, the Midway Marketplace, and people started saying how inspiring it was that I would take on these difficult challenges and, and not complain about it, just find a way to do it. And they asked me to share more about, you know, being an entrepreneur who happens to be blind. Uh, that started the website, theblindblogger.net, which, you know, that name pretty much came to be because, as I'm sure you know, when you're the blind person, whether it's the room, the event, or the web, the internet, the inter internet, a lot of people only see one or two of us at a time. So we become the blind something. And I became the blind blogger. Uh, since then, I've written four books. I've got a fifth that I'm working on. I've been in some book collaborations. I've uh, been interviewed on several hundred podcasts. I've helped other people get booked on podcasts. I teach people how to be great guests. I've traveled the country by myself. I sing in public. Uh, I enjoy sharing my story through public speaking and inspiring people face to face. And oh, by the way, I have this podcast called What's Your Excuse? You know, and I love that. And I think that's going to be the name of our of this uh, episode, What's Your Excuse? So can you tell us at what age this actually uh, became blind? Right. I started losing. I have retinitis pigmentosa. So it started gradually when I was four or five years old. And the family noticed that I was falling down and running into things more than the rest of the kids. And. It uh, continued to uh, decrease gradually until I entered junior high school and I had a big drop off in vision, which is pretty. With RP that when we go through puberty, we have a big drop off. So I went from I went to down to the point where I was, you know, legally blind, had to start uh, learning how to use a white cane and navigating with the cane started preparing to be able to read Braille and transition from uh, from text reading to to audio for the most part back in the days of cassettes and flexible audio discs that you put on actual record players, you know. So uh, my vision stayed pretty constant until I graduated from college. But by the time I by the time I graduated from college, it was down to what it is now, which is light perception which I hate because it's one of the most difficult things to explain to sighted people. Um, for the most part, I have no functional vision. I can, I can tell if a light is on or off, but only if I look in the direction where the light is supposed to be. And I cannot tell colors even like, for example, well, I think it's off right now, but I usually have a, a ring light here in front of me and it, it has three color options. And even though it's like within two feet of me when it's on, I couldn't tell you whether it's uh, white, yellow, or blue, even though I know it okay, has those so now, What made your, I mean, because obviously, you know, since now, it's, it's been a year since my eyesight's went, <clears throat> but, you know, we just have that mentality that, okay, now what? You know, you know, it's like, all right, I, I can't just lay down <laughs> and die. I have to figure something out. So what was your thought process when your, your vision totally went? Right. Well, first I want to, I want to address what you just said there. It does seem to be that people either decide that I just, I can't just lay down and do nothing or there is a group of people when they lose their vision, who that's exactly what they decide to do is that they are going to 
to wallow in their in their their hardship and basically stay where they're at and expect other people to take care of them. So you do have people who don't get who don't go. I I got to do something. I can't just not do nothing. There are people who are that way, as as I'm sure you know. Um, but beyond that, I think it's you know it pretty much my upbringing. I I grew up in a family of people who did stuff that didn't have a lot of time to suffer with people who felt sorry for themselves. Uh, it, I remember whenever we would tell my grandmother we didn't have anything to do, she would find us something to do. You know, I I remember all those years going up and down the road with my dad when we would, you know, f- just barely find a way to get to the next town and get open. And people would ask him, well, how did you do that? And he would say, what, did we have a choice? So, you know, when you're when you're in the business that I grew up around, nobody really cares how you feel or what happened to you the previous six days. All they want to know is on Thursday or Friday night, can they buy a funnel cake and ride the Ferris wheel? So, you know, you, you, you have the, these, this exposure to people who just find a way to do the next thing. And I think that was instilled in me over years and years of first uh, exposure to other people who, who did things that way and then being a part of it and, and having to find some unusual solutions myself sometimes. And, you know, uh, so I, I think that that's really, it's just the people I was around, my upbringing. And I think a lot of people have this in them, but they just forget about it. And I think sometimes the most important thing a person can do when they go through a setback is make a list of experiences that you have been through where you managed to succeed, to overcome, and even if you didn't succeed 100%, if, you know, you were went through a difficult period and you came through it to do something else or to be a little bit different version of yourself, if you can make a list and go back to those times in your life when you were successful in spite of difficulty and remind yourself of those things during your current situation, that can really help a lot. But I think way too many people, we forget about, the awesome things we've done in the past and the farther back in our memory it is, the more likely we are likely we are to have forgotten about it. And when in times of trouble, you know, you really need to be able to draw from your past memories. You also need to be able to draw from people around you who will encourage you and, and challenge you not to just sit there. And, you know, and, and I, I, my uncle actually had uh, what you have, and eventually he became uh, totally blind. But, you know, in between his years, between, um, you know, from when it came, first happened to when he went totally blind, he never really learned how to, you know, read Braille. He never really learned how to do anything. And then when he became totally blind, it's like all he would do is just sit in front of a television. And his life was pretty much over at that point. So, uh, you know, I see the to- you guys are total opposite ends of the spectrum. So wh- what made you think, you know, because back when it first happened, I'm sure yeah. we didn't have the technology we have now. We didn't have the the um, smartphones where you could just talk into them and it does all the reading for you and everything. So how was that when you were first starting out saying, OK, I'm going to be a writer, but I can't see. So how did that come about? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, um, 
if we're talking about me being a writer now, because I didn't, I didn't decide to be a writer. I spent, I spent 15 years trying to do everything I could to keep a business going. And it was only after the business failed that I started blogging and writing and recording the podcast and doing podcast interviews. So that's only been since 2003 uh, and officially full-time 2007. But I sometimes find that the technology almost makes certain things harder for us. I mean, I can remember doing the booking and filling out a calendar using a Perkins Braille writer and a phone that didn't even talk. You know, forget smartphone, forget, you know, talking flip phone. It's just, you know, very beginning of the cell phones. And, you know, I still had to find events for with actual Braille paper and a Perkins Braille writer. And I carried that thing all over the country with me. So I think sometimes the technology makes it harder for us, especially with those people who don't care about us when they develop websites or apps or uh, even submission forms. Uh, you know, so I sometimes think that, you know, some things are easier because we do have the smartphones and the laptops and things like that, that with, with speech. Uh, we have Braille displays. Um, we have more and more devices that talk, uh, such as, you know, air, uh, refrigerators and washers and dryers and things like that. But, you know, just the other day, I, I listened to a review by a blind woman of a new washer and dryer that had Wi-Fi on it that still wasn't accessible to a blind person trying to use that washer and dryer. So, you know, we have a continual fight. We, we have to remember that uh, to, you know, to keep our... Uh, to keep our calm, to maintain a positive attitude, and to just keep uh, moving forward, finding solutions wherever we can find them. And for me, you know, in the in the beginning, I had to learn how to hand code HTML because uh, what you see is what work. You know, <laughs> there was no WordPress. Uh, Mars edit, you know, there was no uh, GoDaddy or these other options. So I had to teach myself something that, you know, was really very hard to learn and then use it. And then, of course, when the thing didn't work, figure out, well, what comma, period, less than, greater than, et cetera, did I leave out that's causing this thing to be broken? And sometimes at two or three o'clock in the morning when I was still looking for what well, you know, what did I do to break the website? How can I fix it? I'm like, man, there has to be a better way to make a living. So um, writing, as far as writing a blog, was pretty easy, especially with a web app like Mars Edit, which is, is a third-party piece of software that allows you to create your blog posts in a text document and keep it really simple and then upload it to, to WordPress or Blogger or whatever website you're using. So that you don't have to you don't have to navigate the back end of a hosting company in order to create new content. So that really helped. Uh, unfortunately, that's only available to uh, to Mac users. It's not available for Windows users. But you know things like that have made it easier. Uh, WordPress has made a real investment into accessibility, so that helps. I'm finding more and more people if I make a connection with the owners of websites and apps are starting to to be more uh, more uh, willing to listen to my suggestions as far as making them accessible. 
But a lot of it still just comes down to how badly do you want to do something? You know, how hard are you willing to look for a solution? Are you willing to humble yourself and ask people for help or accept help from other people? And are you just, you know, how determined are you to accomplish your goal? And sometimes, you know, uh, there's a line in one of uh, Garth Brooks' songs, The Rodeo, it says, uh, it'll drive a cowboy crazy, it'll drive a man insane, and he'll sell off everything he can just to play the game. And I sometimes wonder, you know, how far are people willing or not willing to go in order to accomplish the goal they have in front of them? And, you know, after some of the things I had to do to keep a carnival going, some of the things I do now to keep a blog now, and a your website podcast, and a podcast going you know, are pretty easy. talk about that a little bit because I have a lot of people that are um, podcast hosts and podcasts. Um, so talk to us about first starting out your podcast. What kind of guests did you have on? How, what was your format when you first started? Well, the format hasn't changed a whole lot, and the guest, the guests have changed a little bit. I'm starting to, I'm starting to see more and more people with disabilities, or who, uh, whose goal is to help people with disabilities that are turning out to be to want to be guests on my podcast. So I'd say the guests have changed a little. The main thing that's different from then and now is when I first started, I didn't believe that there was any way I could manage the technical side of recording a podcast and have a mindful conversation with my guests. So I kept telling people, because a lot of podcast hosts ask me, Max, when are you going to have your own podcast? When are you going to have your own podcast? And I found, and I kept saying, look, when I find somebody who will show up and handle the text, all I have to do is show up and talk, I'll do it. And eventually a good friend of mine, Frederick Bai from Canada, uh, he offered to do just that for me. And so we started recording the show. Uh, originally it was called Just No Excuses. And of, of and he was my co-host, and he would also introduce the show and do the outro and uh, do the hosting stuff and take care of all of that. And then eventually he got it into his head, and I admit that he was right and I was wrong, that I really didn't need his help anymore in order to do the podcast. So uh, he contrived to have somewhere else to be during one of my scheduled recordings. And in the space of 48 hours, I found out what Zoom was. I tried a test run with it so I could at least feel like I knew how to use it. And I recorded my first interview on that platform. Uh, and of course, with Zoom, I recorded video and audio, which was really kind of fun, kind of scary because of my first guest, because my first guest was also blind or losing his vision. And so basically, we you have two guys doing video and audio where neither one of them can be 100% sure whether they're in the frame or, you know, what the focus is like or what the lighting are like is, is anything or anything like that. And uh, my first guest was amazing. His name is Michael Schwartz. He's a filmmaker from San Francisco. He's an award-winning photojournalist, in fact, who has been losing his sight. But as he says, it, he hasn't, he hasn't lost his storyteller's vision. And he came on my show, had a great interview he gave me some wonderful advice about taking photos and video and and taking and making movies as a blind person, which was perfectly timed because I was going to go off to New York City on a on a trip a few months after I talked to him. So, 
since then, more and more of my guests have had have had a disability or uh, have had some sort of adversity or trauma that they've overcome. In the early days, though, I would say the guests were more were a lot more varied. And the cool thing about my podcast, with it being called "What's Your Excuse," is I can have on pretty much anybody I want to have on as long as they I, have you know, a good and I story. Love that. And I think you know that's one thing I think we have in common that you know you don't have to be the biggest person in the world but if you got a great story i want to hear it i want people to hear it i want people you know because i believe that every person has a story inside them and i'm just the guy that helps get there's that story out there so now how many episodes have you done on, on your podcast yeah you know that's an interesting question because in the beginning when fred was running things he numbered the episodes um, but since he's, since I stopped working with him, I felt like, okay, Max, let's make this easy on you. Don't, let's not worry about episode numbers. Let's just refer to the episodes by the name of the guests. So according to the internet, I've released 42 or 43 episodes, but I'm, I'm pretty sure I've got another at least 25 or 30 interviews that I did during a a period of, of difficulty with, with technology that haven't been released to the public yet. So, you know, at least 50, maybe 75. One of the things that has happened is I've sometimes had difficulty with uploading content and getting the content, uh, you know, as part of uh, posts on my blog or social media. So sometimes when, I do, when I've had a especially difficult time with the online stuff, I've gone a few weeks without without posting the interviews, even though I recorded it. And one thing it seems to be pretty consistent with me is no matter what happens, the episodes end up on my YouTube channel, even if it takes a little while before they get onto my uh, my Apple, Stitcher, YouTube, uh, um, iHeart, and all those other good places. So, but I think that's really part of my brand. I'm just doing, I'm doing the best I can at the moment. And some moments that is, super organized and every podcast comes out in video and audio at 7 a.m. Central on Monday mornings. And other times, if you're not a subscriber to my YouTube right, channel, so it may now, be a few um, weeks between episodes. You know, since you started podcasting, you know, now everybody and their brother has a podcast. There's millions, hundreds of millions of podcasts out there, you know, and but now they say that the average podcast lasts 10 episodes and people quit. And but and if you make it past a hundred episodes, you're in like the top five or ten percent. So, why do you think people quit making podcasts? Is it because they don't realize that the work it actually takes, or is it because they're so busy number watching? Oh, the number watching is a big part of it because everybody is going off of the. Uh, the the rest of the world's definition of what success looks like. So, you know, if you're going to be successful with a podcast, there's a few things I think you need to do. One is you need to decide what success looks like for you and not just borrow everybody else's version, which is, you know, hey, I've got to have 100,000 downloads and, you know, a sponsor paying me thousands of a month by the end of the six months or the end of the first year, or I'm a failure or, you know, if I'm not getting a hundred downloads an episode or a thousand downloads, whatever number you want to pick, then I'm a failure. So really to start with, 
They, they need to decide what success looks like to them. And for some people, it is just getting their thoughts out into the world so they don't have to sit alone with those thoughts. Some people, it's sharing information about a passion or, or a nonprofit they're part of. Some people, it's just helping someone else with a podcast so, uh, to get you know the message out into the world. But another thing I think really makes the difference between people who make it to 11 episodes or people who don't is, is in the beginning, it's either fun or it's a challenge. And I think that by the t by 10 or 11 episodes, it's either become work or it's become routine. So I, I think the really the most important thing people need to do is Always remind yourself, why did you start the podcast? And try to keep it as much of a fun, uh, entertaining, energizing thing as you can, as much as you can. Now, sure, some of the time you're going to have to think about the nuts and bolts and do stuff that is just boring and stuff you really hate. And if you have a, if you have a regular job or, you know, good credit or if your show is starting to make some money, you pay people to do that stuff for you. But really, a lot of this just comes down to uh, focusing on it being fun, being a challenge, being something you're curious or passionate about, as opposed to, I'm going to make money with this. And I think that is that has a lot to do with it. Another thing that they're finding in the research is, is that people who record their podcast episodes in batches before they launch are less successful than people who record week to week. And they say the reason behind that is people like me and you that record week to week, we give our audience the opportunity to let us know what we're doing well and what they think we could improve upon or that we should change. Whereas people who record batches of episodes before they launch, <clears throat> they don't give the audience the opportunity to have input into how the show could be better. And so when they don't see those numbers coming up or even staying staying stable every week, they get bored, tired, angry, frustrated, whatever whatever way you want to look at it, and they quit. Um, and so one of the things I like to do for me is I like to share my numbers with people and, you know, think about it. I Some people are going to hear these numbers and they're going to think, Max, you know, you really need to do something to improve your show because you ain't getting it. And other people will be like, you know, He's, uh, he's doing pretty well. So, so here's, uh, I've, I relaunched in audio in July of, uh, 2019 and this is March of 2021. So roughly a year and three quarters, something like that. I recently exceeded 2,500 downloads. I recently had my first episode that got over a hundred downloads by itself. And my episodes average between 50 and 75 downloads between during the first week that they're on that they're on my podcast. And I'm really happy with those numbers. And I'll tell you why. One of the things that people talk about all the time is what are your downloads? How many people are in your network? How many people are on your mailing list? And the thing the smart people are starting to figure out is it doesn't matter, as The Rock used to say every Thursday night. What matters is how many people are loyally following your podcast. So if I have 50 to 75 people that listen every time I drop a new episode, to me, that's powerful. And I'm very proud of those people that I created uh, interviews that 
share experiences, that share life lessons with people that make them want to come back every week. So I get 50, 75 for episode. I'm very happy. I would love to grow the podcast. Sure. I would love to attract uh, even uh, higher profile sponsors. That's true. But to me, it has to start with doing the work. Being proud of the work you do, the time, you know, and effort, and energy that, you put into it. I used to get so wrapped up in the numbers, but you know now it's all about the relationships I'm building. You know, it, you know it's kind of like now since we've talked exactly. You know, now this is where the relationship just begins. You know, this is where it starts the relationship. So you know, like I had the honor of talking to General Petraeus. You know, I mean, who would ever thought that a ninth grade dropout that got thrown out of the military would be able to sit down and have a conversation (laughs) with General Petraeus? And it's amazing how much, you know, having a podcast is, you know, having you are a media platform. And if you start thinking of it that way, there's a lot of people that want to get their stories told. You just can't be afraid and ask them. You know, do you want to, would you like to be on my show? I, I would love to promote your book, you know. So how do you go back about finding guests? Because I find that, you know, cause like we're the number eight rated veteran podcast in the world right now. But if I went on LinkedIn and just started spamming people and be like, hey, bro, I have a number eight show. Once you come on, people are going to look like, wow, what an a-hole. But if I go, you know, but if I go on and I say, Hey, Joe, you know, I see your book is coming out. I would love to have you come on the show and I would love to help you be able to get your story out there. It seems there's a lot more, um, I don't know, a humanness to be able to get people on your show because you're, you want to help them out. And in turn, they want to help you out. What are your thoughts on you know approaching people and talking to them about being on your show? I don't even know why you're having me on my on your show. You already know all this stuff, man. Um, yes, you're right. It starts with being willing to ask other people to put yourself out there in a human way and say, I think that there's some benefit for you being interviewed on my show. I would like to help you accomplish your goal. This is how I think we can do that. And would you would you please come on my podcast? It's you know, that that is very successful. It works almost every time. And that's one of the great things about having a podcast. Whether you think about it as a media platform or a podcast, either way, it gives you license. It gives you freedom. It basically gives you permission to reach out to pretty much anybody you have the guts to reach out to that would make sense for your podcast and go, hey, I would like to have you on my show. And most of the time, I would say in my career, somewhere around 90% of the time, the answer was yes. And the other 10% of the time, the answer wasn't no. It was, this isn't a good fit for me or for us if I was reaching out to a person with a representative. This isn't a good fit for me or us at this moment, but get back to us at a particular time, say three months from now, or say September when we've we've finished this next production that we're going to, or this next event that we're going to be involved in. So I think maybe 1% of the time I've been told no. And that was by people like, you know, Stephen King and, uh, you know, Garth Brooks people keep telling me. No. So, you know, but for the most part, you know, you reach out to people in a human way and they will say yes. Um, one, because like you said, a lot of them have a reason to put themselves out there. Um, 
you know, and two, and this is really the, the really cool thing about this is there are a lot of people out in the world who just enjoy having a great conversation with somebody they've never met before and seeing what they what they learn and what kind of connection they make with each other. And then one really important thing you mentioned there in passing was making a connection. And, you know, I teach people how to be podcast guests. I offer a training course and I do podcast bookings for people. And the one and and two things that I really try to instill in them is one, it's all about your story. So if you want to get booked, tell the host what your story is. And two, the podcast interview, this is just a beginning. If you're not following up with the host and seeing what you can do to help them and uh, connecting on a deeper level and following this out as if you just met your next best friend, then you're doing it wrong. And I and you know I'm I'm as I'm as we're talking I'm absorbing everything because you're teaching me right now, um, and that's one thing I love about having on the show, you know people people like yourself that um, they're willing to teach us. You know, it's like getting an MBA in business just by having my own show. You know, like I said, I'm only a ninth grade dropout, but now I can have eight figure earners come on the show <laughs> and teach me the secrets. So that's why I love having, you know, people like yourselves on there. Cause you know, dropping those, you know, those golden nuggets. So now talk to us. Cause everything I, I have, I think 20 sponsors right now, but none of them are paid because I don't want them. I don't want their money. I'm doing it all to support their businesses, but cause money's not an issue with me right now, but tell us about monetizing your because every I think every Facebook group I have, there's every five minutes, there's a, a post about how do I monetize my podcast? How do I, you know, how do I make money? And none of them seem to talk about how do I create value for these companies to um, sponsor my show? So can you please talk about value and monetization of a podcast? Right. Well, uh, first, you know, I'm going to mention the usual suspects, which are, you know, affiliate sales, straight sponsors, paid reviews, um, using a product or service during your podcast so that it looks organic. Uh, let's see what else is there. Um, you know, uh, you can do pay-per-clicks like with ad sets and stuff like that. Those are the usual suspects. But you see, I have a kind of a weird approach to uh, to sponsorship because I actually got my first sponsor by having a conversation with them without knowing that they wanted to sponsor my show because I was just, you know, how we talked about connection. I had connected with these people, uh, Alex, um, these people, uh, Chip and Pam Edwards of Create My Voice. I connected with them at a podcasting conference. We got to be friends. I started using their service. And one day I'm having a conversation. I'm like, you know, I want to attend this conference coming up. I don't have the money. I would love to have a sponsor, but I can't seem to attract them. So what do I need to do? And Pam, who's just one of those people who's like, you know, she's going to share what she knew with me. She's like, Max, there are lots of people who have a product or service that would love to get their service or product mentioned on your podcast, but they probably figure that you want way too much money and that uh, either they can't afford it or they would offend you just by saying, hey, here's what we got. She says, so why don't you let it be known that, you know, that you're just trying to, to make your podcast sustainable and that you'd be willing to take on a sponsor at, say, $100 a month 
and they would get a mention on each episode, you know, every all four episodes of that month for that money. And I said, okay, I'll do that. And of course, as soon as I do it, she's like, um, Max, we want to know if we can have the first one of those ads. <laughs> so so it really came as being honest and vulnerable and humble and having a conversation with somebody I had met previously at a podcasting conference. So a lot of these things really come down to, are you willing to let people know what you need? And that's very scary for most people. You know, the sighted world especially grows up being taught, if you can't do it by yourself, don't let people know you can't do it by yourself because they will think badly of you. Whereas, at least in my life, I grew up with people telling Max, if you need help, always ask for it because you're not going to, you're probably going to, it's probably going to take you a lot longer to do it and be a lot harder if you don't ask for help. And oh, by the way, people like to help other people. They get, they get a good feeling from helping other people. So with me, I was willing to let Pam, somebody I knew, know my situation. And she ended up uh, sponsoring my podcast. And they allowed me to attend three conferences before the pandemic hit in a way I wouldn't have been able to without that money. Now, it wasn't a lot of money. Most people would be like, Max, why did you even bother? Well, I believed in the service. I liked the people. And they helped me solve a problem for myself. And then my other sponsor that I've had, and I don't have them right now because uh, I currently don't need what they offer. And uh, as, since I don't need what they offer, they don't have a, a reason for, for doing this. But I reached out to one of my merchandise providers and I said, look, I'm going to be doing these live events. I really would like to have some shirts and some hats and stuff to take with me to sell or to give away. But I don't have the budget for it right now. Would you be willing to, per to give me the merchandise? Uh, in exchange for the promise that I'll mention your your company on my podcast for the next three months. And they did that. So I think a lot of this, you know, we talk about monetizing. Again, it goes back to what are your goals with monetizing? Do you want to make a living from your podcast and quit your day job? That's hard. Do you want to have the podcast pay for itself so you don't have to take money out of your check every month to pay for it? That's That's a lot easier. And the great thing about having sponsors is, People, when they see you having sponsors, they're more likely to want to sponsor you themselves. And there are going to be people out there going to be Max. You just basically told stuff to the world. You shouldn't be telling the world because they're going to think less of you. But, hey, I'm here to teach your audience how I've been able to do what I'm doing. And if that means I have to be vulnerable and take the chance that some people are not going to hire me or book me or want to have anything to do with me because I was too honest well, then, you know, they can think what they want to think because that's just the way I do things. I uh, I often have been told, Max, I know your brand is authenticity, but could you be a little less authentic sometimes? Uh, but I think that's the way you have to approach sponsorships and advertising is what is your goal? And there are places where you can find mid-level and lower-level companies that want to sponsor podcasts now. It's just like everything else with a need websites and apps will show up and grow up. But I find it's more about a relationship, a friendship. And these things usually start with a podcast or a podcasting conference or an interview or some other way where I got to know the person on a personal I, level. You know, first. And, I, and I love that. And like I said, I'm hanging on every word that you say. Um, so now you obviously now you, you're teaching, you're teaching your, your craft. So what was the moment where you did somebody say, Hey, you know, you need to create a course or is it something you're really like, Hey, you know what? Maybe I, sh I should be able to start charging people. 
Well, it happened in two stages. First, um, people used to write me and they'd go, Max, how do you get on all these podcasts and radio shows? And I would, you know, just generously reply back to them. And I'd write them these 10 page emails that would tell them everything I was doing and why I was doing it. And then eventually my friend, Michael Babcock, who I think you may know, if you don't, I uh, would love to make an introduction. He's, a, uh, he's the guy behind your own pay who's trying to help other blind people with uh, launching small businesses. And so uh, he's like, Max, you can't keep you can't keep sharing this kind of content for free. You have to start charging for it some way. So, so he challenged me to create a course and I created an audio course called On the Air, um, how to use podcasts to share your story, reach new audiences and grow your brand. And uh, that's been pretty successful. Just recently, somebody who took that who bought that course booked their first podcast interview within 24 hours of, of buying, downloading, and listening to it. So, and eventually I need to update it. And then beyond Michael, people just started saying, you know, Max, how do you do this? And when I would send them my course, then they would say, well, can you do it for me? And that's how it turned into a thing where people started paying me to, you know, to do the work of reaching out to uh, people in blogs, podcasting, radio, some TV, some online summits, some online magazines. And but so basically now what I do is I tell their stories to people like you. I encourage them to have them on their show or whatever their other whatever other online platform we're talking about. And then when they say yes, that person just has to show up and write a great article or have a great conversation. And then afterwards, I help them do the promotion. I co-promote on social media, which is one of those things I do out of gratitude to the host, because I feel like even though there's, even though I'm getting paid for this, the host ain't getting paid for it. And I know I don't plan on paying hosts for it, but the host ain't getting paid for it. So I feel like I should, I should thank them for having my client on their platform. And so I promote as well as I can. And most of the time that includes social media. And sometimes it also includes a blog post and my email list and wherever else I can think of. So, uh, but it went from, you know, creating the course cause I was challenged to, to start making money off of it. And then to uh, booking people on online platforms so they can gain exposure. And then now I've got this uh, new course. That's a, that's a six to eight week course. that's more interactive where I teach people who, how to be, great podcast guests. And I also have them on my podcast and booked them on some podcasts so I can see them in action or hear them in action and show them where they could have done things better or, or things that they did well that they should do again, you know? So that's been very satisfying with the people that I've worked with there. And of course, you know, now I've got this new project that basically I, I never saw coming because I never really thought I was a great podcaster. I'm, I'm really good on the emotional side of challenging people to overcome their excuses and launch a podcast, but I'm not so great on the technical side of hosting, recording equipment, editing, all that great stuff. Um, so I've realized that I'm in a perfect position to help other blind people and people with disabilities through the process of launching their own podcast and starting a journey that could lead to them being self-sufficient. And I feel like helping people launch their own podcast could have two results. One, it could give them skills and self-esteem that, uh, that encourage them to go out and rejoin the regular workforce. 
or some of them could actually turn it into a business and have it be the thing that um, gets them out of the government, uh, you know, the government subsistence program that a lot of people are, are stuck in. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I never expected it. Um, we're, we're trying to find some sponsors and see how we can get people, how we can come up with the money because in the beginning of the process of somebody starting a podcast, you know, there are a lot of expenses and some of the people that are going to want to, to get my help launching shows, uh, they may not have a, a piggy bank full of money to invest in the training and the equipment. So we're working on it. Uh, we're going to, we're going to start by launching a what's your excuse podcast network. And I'm, and I've already invited some of my friends who have existing podcasts, uh, to allow me to, to syndicate their shows to that network once I get it uh, up and actually running, which should happen any day now. Uh, because one of the other things I want to do is I want to gain exposure for podcast hosts who are putting great content out there, but their content isn't getting heard. Uh, just because, of, as you mentioned, there's a lot of podcasts out there. And the other thing is I've learned from people that I've come in contact with on the web is, if we could create a bucket of talented podcasters who happen to have a disability, we could go to the advertising people and make some actual real money uh, arrangements with them to sponsor all the podcasts in the network as, as a package deal. And I've seen that work for state-run, state-based podcasting uh, networks, and I don't see why it couldn't work even better for a national or international network of blind and, and physically disabled. Uh, I love that brother. So now a lot, you know, your tagline is what's your excuse. So what, you know, w when certain people come to you and say, you know, well, I can't do this and I can't do that. And you know, they're ab able-bodied and they're okay mentally, you know, because some people as, of, of us like myself, we have uh, different mental challenges. Um, so when you look at them, Knowing they can't see you and you look at them and say, if I can do this, what's your excuse? What is their usual first reaction? Well, it helps that a lot of them know who I am before they meet me. I think a lot of the people who, who have those deep-seated excuses, they probably avoid me. That's probably why I've never really had to have... I've had never really had a, a reaction like you're expecting from somebody when I tell them, hey, you know, what's your excuse? Because most people know my brand. They know how I do things. Um, it's funny. You, you're bringing this up. Just, just yesterday, somebody replied to one of my posts on LinkedIn because he's reading one of my books. And this is a guy who's in a wheelchair who deals with a very different set of circumstances and roadblocks than I do as a, as a blind person. He said, you know, it's, it's this book is reminding me that if you can, if you can face your big challenges, I can face my small ones. So uh, I think it really helps that I have a reputation of not accepting excuses either for me or from others around me. And so for good or bad, a lot of the people who are really unwilling to change are going to avoid me, which may well, you know, one thing uh, I have to say I've, about I'm you not is you, know, you have one. a heart of gold and you also have a heart of service. So I think it would be pretty hard for anybody to be hating on you. 
You're probably right. I appreciate the compliment. And the other thing I find is when it does, when if somebody does occasionally misunderstand me, I don't usually have to say anything because generally people, somebody who knows me will say, uh, will basically, basically say what I was thinking, but didn't have to say, you know, people take up for me on the internet. So it's really, really been good there. But generally when somebody has these excuses, uh, one of the best things you can do is try to understand why they have the excuses. I mean, sometimes these things are built up over years, and sometimes they're built up because they don't even understand to, to have these, these roadblocks in their head. And, you know, for example, you're talking about launching a podcast. Sometimes people who have excuses around a podcast it's because they see people like me and you doing it. And even worse, they see people like John Lee Dumas and, um, and Dave Jackson and Joe Pardo. They see some of these people, even our friend Tammy, Tammy Mo Moses doing it. And they're like, they're so good. And this stuff is so hard. There's no way I could ever be that good. And so one, you know, in that particular case, the thing you have to, make them understand is one, the tech is only hard if you make it hard. You know, you can do a podcast as simply as you want to do it or as difficult as you want to do it. You can record on your iPhone and upload to YouTube and leave the podcasting hosting all alone if you want. You can, you know, you can buy, you can build a studio, buy thousands of dollars worth of equipment, learn how to edit sound, um, pay for ads on Facebook. You know, you can do all of that sort of stuff and watch your podcast. But really, it comes down to how simple, how difficult do you want to make any goal? And since we were talking about podcasting, I thought I would apply it back to that. But yeah, a lot of it is just they've seen other people doing it and they feel like they have to do it at that level. Or because of that other person, it is so difficult because they make, they've made it look too easy. It's so difficult. There's no way they could ever do it. So, you know, a lot of times it's just a matter of, hey, just talk, just press record, just press send. You know, I've, I've, I'm actually known for a talk and that's the title of the talk. I've given several times at national conferences. Don't let, just, just press send. Don't let fear keep you from your dreams. And that's, but that's, but you know what I'm talking about? They see other people doing it and they're like, I have to do it to that same level or I'll never be successful. And that's a lie. You know, it's a total myth. Uh, it's, the other thing that most people don't understand is the ones who are doing this really well, that are really polished at it, they have staffs. They have people doing a lot of this stuff for them, either paid or interns or volunteer or Fiverr. They're not doing it all by themselves, but they're more than willing to let you think they are doing it all by themselves. So that's another thing I try to get at is, look, when these people make you feel unworthy, it's because they got a lot of people helping them. Yeah. I, and I, and I, I, I totally get that. So my last couple questions are, uh, how do we find you? How can we get your books? How do we find your podcast? Right. So people can find me by going to the blindblogger.net. That's the blindblogger.net. They can also, they can use the contact form or they can just send an email to just ask at the blindblogger.net. Um, my social media accounts are on the website. They can also, as far as the podcast goes, it's also on the website, but they can say, they can ask Alexa or Google to play What's Your Excuse? 
and uh, they can search for it in, in, in Google and the other search engines, of course. But the main thing is it all goes back to the blindblogger.net because I firmly believe that if I'm building something, I want to build it on my, on my foundation, not on somebody else's. And uh, just a couple other things I want to say before your last question is, one, I don't believe people should have to have a reason to contact me. I'm not one of those people who thinks that if you're not ready to uh, hire me, book me, or buy from me, that you should not, not contact me. I'm just not that way because I feel like every time I make a connection, it's an opportunity to make a new friend, and who knows where it will, will lead. Um, beside, and as far as my books go, in addition to the website, they can also find them on Amazon. And I would say over there, the best way is just, just put in the blind blogger in the Amazon search. It'll find my books. One of the cool things about my friends picking this nickname is nobody else had it. So if you put in the blind blogger on pretty much any search bar, unless I'm just not on that platform, you're going to find me. I love that. You know, and it's all about, you know, a lot of people. I was talking to somebody about branding and you pretty much got the whole brand locked down for your brand, but it's kind of like, you know, if you person seen Michael Jordan, you know, he's so he's known as the Nike air guy. If he all, all of a sudden walked out wearing um, another brand like Adidas, people would think he lost his mind because he, you know, he's so <laughs> well known as, you know, air Jordan. So, so yeah. you are your brand, and actually, I love how that you you know you live your brand. So the last question is, you know, we're in such we live in such a crazy world now. You know, people are parents are homeschooling kids, grandparents are home, homeschooling kids, um, and we're such a crazy world we live in with all the distractions. So if I ask somebody to do something in seven days, they're pretty much never going to get to it. But if I ask somebody to take an actionable step in the next twenty four hours they're more likely. So if somebody yeah. out there in the audience is struggling with anything, whatever it is, what can they do in the next 24 hours to stop making excuses? All right. There's the most important thing they can do is find something they can take action about, no matter how small it is, as long as it is something that will move you closer to whatever you think your goal is. Cause trust me, once you start moving, your goals are going to change. My goals have changed 20 times in the last 13 years, if not more. So find something you can take action on, no matter how small. I personally think that those first small steps, that first little toe you put in the water, are the most important ones. They're also the scariest ones. So give yourself some credit. Be sure and say, hey, I did that when you did it. But it's definitely important to take to do something you can take action upon. The other thing is ask for help, accept help from people who are offering you help and be grateful for that. Uh, another thing is gratitude is always has value because when we count our blessings, they grow. And one of the difficult things when, it, when you're starting on the path of a new goal is you're going to have setbacks. So it's difficult to stay positive. So I like to share this piece of advice when it comes to finding a positive mindset and staying that way. And that is all the stuff we've talked about today takes effort. They take practice. You can't start today if you need them tomorrow. You need to start today and so that you'll have them built up in you when you need them a month or three months or six months from now. So I like to say that finding the positive, whether it's the, a person, event, or experience, finding the positive is like finding anything else you lost. It's like finding the TV remote, the car keys, or your smartphone. First, 
you know it's there somewhere. So you decide that it's there somewhere. Second, you look for it until you find it. And third, if you can't find it on your own, you bring the family in to help you look. Now, by the time you finish finding it, the, the living room, the truck, or your purse may be a total wreck. But trust me, you'll have a big smile on your face. You will have succeeded. You will have found the thing you were, were missing, just like you will have found a positive uh, approach to the rest of your day, the rest of your week. But it starts with, a, with making it a habit, just like asking for help, just like deciding to find solutions instead of making excuses. This stuff all takes practice. Anybody who tells you you can start doing it today and you'll be a success next week is lying out their butt. So pick one of them. Take, you know, so take some sort of action, but pick one of them and start practicing so that when you need it, when you have to find sunshine in a, in a well or a coal mine, you'll be ready. I love that. Hey, guys, you know, definitely check out Max, you know, theblindblogger.net. Check out his website. Check out his books. You want to start a podcast, check out his, his course that he's got coming out. He's got a whole bunch of new stuff coming out. Tammy Moses, I want to thank you for introducing us. Uh, TheHoardingSolution.com. If you guys know anybody living in the hoard, definitely check out Tammy. She's got a heart of gold. Guys, if you're listening to us, please leave a comment on any of the – wherever you're listening, leave a comment. Let us know how we're doing and what we can do better. We, I don't, don't get paid any money for this. The only pay I ask is that you guys share this and leave us comments and know that we're affecting your life. Max, thank you so much, my friend, for coming on today. You're well, thank you, too, Rich. I appreciate this opportunity. And if it weren't for people like you who've given me the opportunity to share my story over the years, there wouldn't be a The Blind Blogger. There wouldn't be a What's Your Excuse? And there wouldn't uh, be anything else that may come along in the near future. So, uh, give yourself credit for being part of the myth that is the blind blogger. I love it, brother. And I'll, I'll send you this, and I know you'll share it out everywhere. Oh, oh yeah. I appreciate you, brother. Have a blessed day. God Thank bless you. Success stories and interviews with game changers and thought leaders who have overcome both in life and in business. Welcome to Vertical Momentum.